0: It is 8 minutes after 11 o'clock. This is the final hour of The Talking Point. Uh, It really has been an honor and a pleasure being in your company. I've enjoyed the show so much today. Well, I always do, but today felt really, really special. In this uh, segment of the show, we're going to be, it's the Africa Unlock segment. We're going to be taking a look at the hostility in U.S.-China relations. The United States and China are in a very hostile space right now. You would remember the balloons that were shot down, the The balloon that was shot down over American airspace, the Chinese surveillance balloon, uh, another one over Canada was shot down, um, or at least uh, Canada appealed to America at least for uh, intervention there when they discovered such a thing. But there's also the fact that um, that hostility is also around trade and it's also around um, capturing the hearts and souls of, of, of different global partners. Africa seems to be a ground of contestation between the United States and China. You would remember recently U.S. Treasury Yellen was in South Africa, Senegal, as well as Zambia on official state visits in South Africa. She met with President Ramaphosa. Sergey Lavrov, the Foreign Affairs Minister of Russia, close partner of South Africa and China, was in South Africa, um, had bilateral engagement with uh, Minister Naleri Pando, and Kun Hang, the Uh, Foreign Affairs Minister of China, newly appointed Foreign Affairs Minister. I think she's been Foreign Affairs Minister for, what, four months or so now? She was on an African tour as well, stating her presence. China is an important economic partner to many African countries, South Africa included. But so is the United States. Oftentimes when there is uh, geopolitical hostility and a contestation of partnerships... We often see a global alignment take place. You're either with us or you're against us type of attitude. You're either our partner or our adversary, our ally or our adversary. What should we make of this? Does South Africa have a view on this? Does Africa have a collective view on this? Or are we fragmented? Is there an opportunity for african member states particularly where they realize they are strategic uh, you know priorities to both china and the us is there an opportunity for them to coalesce uh, to collectivize and take a single position to the benefit of africa perhaps the different regions across the continent those are some of the questions top of mind for me what is at stake is south africa's a trade agreement with the united states uh, at risk if we continue to partner with China and the U.S., uh, China and Russia. Remember, we have a bilateral military operation drill type of thing happening very soon between these two countries. Between uh, separately between China, South Africa and China, as well as South Africa and Russia. Is that a sense of hostility? Is that why America doesn't want to supply nuclear flu- fuel for Kuberg? What do we make of this? Are we being bullied as well by our BRICS partners, China, for instance, not wanting to sell? parts to Chinese the Chinese South Rail Company and the Chinese North Rail Company not wanting to sell parts uh, re, re, uh you know repair parts to Transnet for 40 locomotives which are important at keeping Transnet on the uh, Transnet on the rail keeping goods flowing in and in the country and out of the country for export purposes Transnet is on its knees at the moment because of that those are a bunch of questions all of these things matter and I've got a, a panel no better suited than Professor John H. Stanfield, who's the director of the Institute for Advanced Study of African Renaissance Policies Ideas. Uh, he's based in South Africa and Mauritius. Uh, it is a virtual, global, pan-African, uh, Asian, and Diaspora policy advocacy think tank that he works for. And Tembisa vakure a familiar voice to the platform, Senior Research Fellow at Africa Asia Dialogues. Tembisa, I want to start with you. Why would you? How would you define the state of South Africa's relationship with China? Before we get to the overarching China-U.S. relation hostility,
1: well, the relationship is quite um, healthy. Uh, there's a lot of economic activity taking place between China and South Africa, and there's also a lot of um, social, political exchanges uh, in China. We've seen Chinese. Uh, For example, the embassy advertising authorities for um, young people who want to go and study in China. So there's that cultural exchange as well that's taking place. But economically, I think uh, it's at its peak at the moment, the relationship between South Africa and and China and other SADC countries. So um, South Africa finds itself in a much more complicated position uh, where it has got traditional relationships not only with the United States but also with the European Union. But the aggressive uh, Chinese economic intervention in Africa and South Africa has put South Africa in a much more complicated position in terms of choices uh, moving forward.
0: Yeah, economically, how big of a partner is China to South Africa relative to our other partners?
1: Well, at the moment, uh, China is... It's a top five um, big economic partner with, 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 with South Africa. Uh, South Africa still enjoys a huge economic relationship with the United States, Britain, and the European Union. But China is uh, rapidly catching up. So um, that is the current relationship. But also there's spillover because South Africa also does um, service uh, other countries that are landlocked, particularly the Sudoku and uh, Swaziland.
0: Yeah. Uh, can I bring you in here, Professor Stanfield, uh, and, and, and ask the question, how would you define, I, I said hostile is the relationship between China and the U.S. at the moment, but it seems it's really always been that way, for, at least for the last 15 years. But in, in, in greater detail than, than <laughs> I guess, my reductive platitudes, how would you define the relationship between China and the United States at the moment?
2: Well, at the moment, uh, when you consider the fact that the uh, Biden Harris administration uh, does not really have any high level uh, advisors about China, and, indeed Asia, and the National Security Council, uh, that uh, in a disturbing way uh, symbolizes um, just uh, where. Uh, U.S.-Chinese relations happen to be um, very much of a continuation of the uh, Trump administration. Um, you know, very much of a of a uh, symbol of the uh, continued uh, Cold War mindset um, of the Biden-Harris uh, and also of the uh, Trump-Pence uh, administrations. Yeah. And the thing is, is is that a lot of this has to do. I think, with the uh, psychological, if not the cultural shock, um, on a part of an American leadership, which is still uh, very much um, dominated by uh, conservative uh, white male supremacy. Uh, They just can't deal with the fact that a a non-white country uh, is um, giving them a run for the money. Uh, And so... Um, That's the uh, psychological and the cultural side and dimensions of of this so-called hostility. And it's totally unnecessary. Uh, We consider all the ground there is um, in the United States for there to be much more collaboration around issues of trade, uh, cultural exchanges, et cetera. Uh, You may remember the uh, cultural war against um, um, Chinese scientists um in american universities uh, that occurred during the trump years uh, which again you know is um just absurd it's um just um uh, very very tragic and uh it's not going to end very well um, unless um, the biden harris administration somehow knows the turns a new leaf and understand that this is a a multipolar world now it's not bipolar right Um, it's not any longer um, either side Um, it's a very very messy world we live in and so um, unless they get their act together um, it's not going to be pretty Uh, let's something interesting
0: happened in the u.s quite recently that's that that i think is notable but what does it mean at all the U.S. has a congressional, a newly uh, constituted Congressional Committee on China Relations. That means it be, it's now a bipartisan concern and less so a White House concern, the state of China-U.S. relations, that is. Uh, what should we read into the significance of that Congressional Committee?
2: Well, you we have to realize that it's not all that bipartisan. It is primarily dominated uh, by... Um, right-wing Republicans and quite conservative Democrats, and it's the same uh, Cold War um, resentment, support and so on. And we really need uh, to have much more, I believe, um, you know, civil societal um, sort of intervention in terms of what the White House and what Congress is doing around issues of China, because it's. Uh, We, the people, the ordinary citizens of America who are mostly suffering from this sort of uh, right wing uh, conservative um, uh, gridlock, which is um, preventing needed uh, discussion, uh, needed uh, negotiations, uh, which are, you know, far more uh, sophisticated and I should say mature, you know, considering what kind of world we now live in
0: yeah tembisa the Chinese president uh, Xi Jinping has a new just got elected for a third term as increased political support and has a war council as part of his cabinet advisory is. Is it, is it an innocuous council, any, like any other war, uh, advisory council? Or is China preparing it for hostility that could translate into military uh, action in the form of a war or a war-light type of thing? Well, you do I
3: don't think China, that... Sorry, sorry, so, uh, sorry
0: Profkin, uh, that, that was for Tembisa. I'll come back to you on that. Uh, Tembisa? Oh, okay. I'm very sorry. No, no, no problem at all. No problem at all.
1: Yeah, China's Belt Road Initiative, which is their uh, macroeconomic policy uh, come um, diplomatic and international relations uh, policy, is likely dependent on good neighborliness because if you know, they're planning to have a railway that will go from uh, 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 Qingqing from uh, China into uh, the hinterland of uh, Eurasia, uh, going all the way past. Uh, Turkey. Um, and also they're also planning to build some railway and road uh, network in Africa. In fact, resuscitating the old uh, China route. That in itself require some sort of um, a very aggressive international relations, and um, uh, uh, that's why you'll find that Chinese will be very careful in terms of starting wars. Uh, they'll rather push for diplomatic relations, because all of this business will likely depend on relationships. So if, for example, Haiti decides to um, to somehow start a war with um, with with the United States, and the United States go and lobby its um, allies, you might just find that China China's Belt Road Initiative will be too steady. So that isn't why there's this global world attitude uh, by China, um is mainly to facilitate business and economics uh and it's mainly driven by this belt road initiative that they've embraced. I, I don't think it's got i don't think it's got much to do with yeah. china uh, 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 engaging in a, a sort of global war um uh, i'm not quite sure even if they will be able uh in terms of uh agitating towards that direction they'll be able to tackle the u.s u.s i want to pause i i, I I do have a few questions. The international waters and airspace spaces for much, much more longer than the Chinese. And if the Chinese were to um, to start anything like that, it's going to be another case um, of, of of Russia, but it's a much more larger game. Yeah, case.
0: I want to I want to circle back and ask whether or not the contestation for Taiwan is at all at play uh, in the in the constitution of this advisory council. But we'll come back to that. Let's take a quick break. Hashtag S F M Talking Point. This is a deconstruction on U.S.-China relations and asking what impact and effect it will have on Africa and South Africa. But what are the what do we read into the movements happening in the various uh, political centers of these two countries, both in the U.S. as well as in China? On this panel with me is Professor John uh, H. Stanfield, as well as Tembisa Fakude. Tembisa, before we went to that break, you 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 made the argument. Um, oh, we, we seem to have lost Tembisa uh, Fakure uh, over there. Um, uh, Professor Stanfield, I just want to bring you in and ask you uh, your reflection on China putting together a war council in, in Xi Jinping's cabinet. Tembisa um, makes the argument it's really just for business facilitations. It's, it's not because China wants to go to war. In fact, China's reluctance to go to war because it would put the Belt Road Initiative at risk.
2: Well, I would certainly uh, totally agree with my colleague. I would add though that uh, another reason why I uh, would think that um, the War Council um, matter is an issue of um, economic interest is because of the fact that uh, the Chinese realize that they have a lot of backyard and front yard, Um, negotiation to do in Asia. Um, If they're going to become a truly um, global power, uh, they're gonna have to do a whole lot to elate fears of their own neighbors um, who are extremely concerned about the possibilities of the Chinese um, basically um, intruding on their own sovereignties. And so, um, you know, with that said, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's very important for us um, to look at both sides of the angle of, of say, you know, U.S.-Chinese um, relations. Um, actually, you know, both countries have to really work very hard these days in doing a lot of uh, fence meeting uh, with their neighbors and whatnot. And that alone is going to prevent any kind of so-called third war where will have happening? Um, it's not going to happen. Uh, there's too many interests involved for mm. that to happen.
0: Uh, are you back with us? Why would they call it a war council if it's about business facilitation?
1: Um, you can name whatever you you can name all initiatives and uh, whatever title you want to give give it to them. But there's one point that I want to uh, I want to I've been entertaining over the past couple of months. I personally believe that we have never seen a China in action, in war action. Um, And I think if you really remember the visit of uh, Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan, uh, it was part of that provocation. I think the U.S. is, is, is much more keen on seeing an irritated China. Uh, we need to see what China has got. Uh, nobody knows at the moment what China has got. We know what Russia has got. Uh, it's been bluffing all the years and they kind of even uh, fight and win the war with Ukraine. But we don't know what China has got. It continues to threaten and until we know exactly what sort of arsenal and asset china has it remains a concern particularly for the united states so an element of provocation is important for them to react in one way or the other and in that manner i think the world will be prepared particularly the united states in terms of what's uh, to be expected but i don't think china will fall into that trap they know precisely what's um, what's in store for them should they react in that manner particularly in taiwan um so, yeah, I, I think this... this, this so the Taiwan, Taiwan issue is war. big, right?
0: The Taiwan issue is big because China thinks that they have a sovereign claim to Taiwan as a territory. The U.S. said if you dare intervene or invade Taiwan militarily, we will respond on behalf of Taiwan. We will come to their defense militarily. That's Those now are, sta- those are that's statements of war, are they not? Please, oh, please keep marketed, in mind, that that's not the American it's, people, it's, but sorry. that's Joe Biden. Oh, right. Okay. The American Washington, let's say the White House response was that. Uh, Tembisa?
1: At the same time, the U.S. affects one-China policy, and the U.S. has not um, uh, disputed the Chinese claim to Taiwan. But at the same time, they've gone ahead to say that they will protect the sovereignty of Taiwan. And this has got a lot to do with the technology that Taiwan possessed. Taiwan is, happens to be one of the largest producers of uh, chips around the world and if that technology was to fall into the hands of china it would be quite a challenge for for the us and and as a result the us will never give up um, its uh, relationship and partnership with taiwan because of that technology and china wants to have that technology which could um, in, in a very large way disadvantage disadvantage the us
0: yeah and importantly then Are you saying that what we've reached with Taiwan is contested territory that will never become contested because out of fear of a reduced version of mutual assured destruction?
1: Yes, it's it's quite confusing, actually, because you have... The U.S. that accepts one-China policy uh, and it doesn't dispute it, and some, by the way, senior officials within the U.S. when Nancy with Taiwan, actually were against that move because the U.S. has got this position. But at the same time, you've got the U.S. that says Taiwan must continue um, being independent. Uh, so it's it's quite a it's quite a, 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 a an oxymoron, confusing foreign policy. But we know why: it's because of the technology that Taiwan possesses.
0: Yeah, give us a call if you want to be a part of this conversation. I'm taking your calls on zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. I'd also like to take your voice note on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven, and you can tweet me at oliver underscore speaking on Twitter, oliver dixon on Facebook. The question after this is, what does Africa stand to gain, and from who?
3: Sfm talking point.
4: Oliver Dixon, between the can you please find that for me from your panel. I always ask myself uh, this question because. Every time when there is a conflict between two countries, we find uh, ourselves to be caught in the making. That's why can't ourselves, uh, I mean, why can't our country or any country for that matter be self-sufficient? We find that everything that they're consuming in that country, they're able to produce for themselves food, clothes, infrastructure, um, anything, like I'm just saying anything, anything that it, uh, and then then the only thing that we can outsource are things to be which are not which you cannot able to find uh in that country like something like brand crude oil i don't think that we do have any oil here in south africa uh, those things then you can able to go from the next door but everything that you can able to produce to produce here in our country why can that be possible you don't have any? hello
3: my favorite dj you know what i see I see a very lethal third war that will perish the world as a whole. You know, what America is doing and playing games with China, I think they are playing with fire. Uh, America through NATO think uh, they can control the world since they control this world economy through swift account. So, this time uh, they are using modern weaponry. So, uh, China is having nuclear bombs, even North, Northern Korea. It's threatening America so Russia will come with very super high point uh super uh, sonic missiles which can reach the uh, reach the. us so you can see uh, the expansion of NATO to east is a total provocation uh, on the peace of the world so America must just stop what is doing and uh, stop dictating Africa as a whole W P Ramgan
0: Give us a call, 86 2032 I'd love to hear your comments on this. Uh, Prof Stanfield, what is Africa to gain
2: and from who? Well, for one thing, I think that it's not a good idea uh, to look at Africa as a country. And I think that's one of the the biggest problems in talking about uh, African affairs issues, whether it's in relation to China or the United States, wherever. Uh, We don't talk about European issues in that way, Uh, we tend to demarcate uh, when it comes to country to country. And so with that said, uh, what um, Africans have to gain is to come together and to talk about developing new ways of doing global politics. Uh, This is the century of Africans and Asians. Our Asian brothers and sisters are figuring out how to do that. Um, Africans and those of the diaspora, uh, uh, we need to come together and do the same thing. Uh, There's a lot of room, for instance, uh, for countries such as in in Africa, such as Nigeria and South Africa, uh, Rwanda, um, to develop um, a very uh, independent um, sort. Uh, uh leadership um, structure uh, that would provide ways for them um, not to be beholden by one block, rather it's uh, the, the Chinese, the Americans, the European Union, or Australia. And so uh, there really needs to be much more of a systemic way of talking about uh, this whole matter besides, you know, just reducing it down um, to uh, US African, uh, uh, right. you know, China, African, um, and it's a time to do it. Uh, Nobody is holding the CIA gun to our heads. We need to really start getting moving and developing a new kind of politics.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tembisa, I want to ask you to reflect on the same question. Is the continent to gain anything and from who? Tembisa? Seems like we've lost Tembisa over there. Uh, I'm going to take some calls. Give me a call on zero eight six triple zero two zero three two as we try to uh, reconnect Tembisa Fakude back onto the line. You can also send me a WhatsApp voice note on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. Mbowana in Mafiken, Good morning.
3: Yeah, I would I w- want to ask if, uh American why American got, uh, um, bases, military bases all over. Uh, in Africa, more
1: than 29 countries. What are they doing? Because there's no any, any African military base in America. So why are they having so many military bases? And then we, we see it like what is happening in Mozambique. Themselves, they got a base in Botswana, but there's their country. Mm.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for that question. Really, really do appreciate it, Prof. Stanfield, That was for you. Why did why, why is it part of American imperialism to have America uh, military bases in all countries?
2: Well, it's because of the fact that the African leadership uh, allows it to happen, and the thing is, is that the um, the two pillars of American um, interests in African countries is security. Uh, and also uh, the issue of the Cold War competition. Um, initially, the Soviets, now the Chinese. And so um, African civil societies all over the continent need, it, need to start uh, speaking up about this. Yeah. Uh,
0: Timisa, we have you back on the line. I want you to reflect on that question that I asked earlier. In the U.S.-China hostility and contestation uh, for partnerships, uh for uh, support for ally ships. What does the African continent stand to gain and from who?
1: Well I wanna repeat what my colleague said in, in his answer that uh we, we, we should avoid the temptation of dealing Africa a country. Your line your
0: line, your line is choppy there. Can I ask you to just repeat it?
1: I'm saying I wanna I want to repeat what my colleagues have said. Can you hear me now?
0: Yes. Yes, yes. Go I, want ahead.
1: Repeat what my, I want to repeat what my colleague has said in terms of dealing with Africa. As if it's a country, Africa is not a country. It consists of fifty-four different countries, and we've seen Africans now taking different positions in terms of their own foreign policy and economic positions. So, if you ask me what's in for Africa, I can tell you. I can answer that by you know referring to South Africa, which is the country that I live in. And can can I then
0: maybe would, rephrase and ask this? Should yeah. Should African Member States, especially those through uh, in different in different blocks, so we can look at ECOWAS, we can look at SADEC, or perhaps even through the AU as a body, should there be a discussion on a consolidated effort in responding to how we perform global politics?
1: I don't think so. I think it's time for us to begin to segment and, and, and separate these blocks into independent countries because we've seen the, in, the interference of these uh, major countries in Africa, whether it's Russia through its uh, Wagner Group uh, and causing destabilization, or China or United States, and this block thinking uh, often is backlashed. And I think it's, 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 begin, it's beginning to be uh, critical for sort of for African countries to take their own independent position. I understand that we've got a lot of weaker nations in Africa, which piggyback on the uh, foreign policy, particularly that which is dictated by the African Union. But I think countries like South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria are beginning to take their own beginning to take their own standalone foreign policy when it comes to dealing with superpowers, particularly China. And it's a correct thing to do. Yeah.
0: Professor Stanfield, is Chinese imperialism any different, any better, any less evil than American imperialism?
2: Every every kind of imperialism is evil <laughs> in my standpoint, Yeah. Uh, regardless of where it's
0: coming from. I think Wait, that is a great there difference. such a thing as Chinese imperialism? Does it exist?
2: Well, of course there is. Uh, you know, it's a powerful country. Uh, when you use any means necessary, whether it's military or foreign aid, to impose yourself and other countries' uh, sovereign activities, then it's imperialism. Uh, nobody is an angel. Nobody is a devil um, when it comes to that matter. Um, and so I think what is the case is looking at the different ways in which um, Chinese intrusion uh, and cooperation in African countries is different from what the West has done. Yeah, I think that's the question that we need to be asking here.
0: Thank you so much for that, uh, Temis. So I want to ask you then this. Does Durko have any sort of coordination about a framework through which they should look at global politics when it comes to global superpowers being in contestation for the support and the attention of South Africa?
1: Well, they do, but it has been differential in terms of who. it, it depended on who occupies the position as the Minister of Department of uh, International Relations and Cooperation. But they do have a position. But at the same time, DERCO has got a country specific foreign policy, which is very good uh, for, for, for South Africa. But um, we have seen DERCO over the past couple of years flip-flopping on, on, on certain issues. Yeah. And sometimes, whenever it's convenient, they'll also piggyback on the African Union position, particularly on controversial uh, matters, uh, they try very hard to, uh, to to stand with Africa as a whole, but I think with the advent of Jacob Zuma and Cyril Poza, we're seeing now a uh, deadlock taking more and more standalone policies uh, compared to, to during the time of Thabo Mbeki, who wanted to promote the African Union. There was this pen. Um, uh, African uh, foreign policy, which often was communicated from uh, Addis Ababa, but now we're having uh, individual countries in Africa taking yep. their own standalone positions.
0: Has that has that worked for us? Uh, before you answer that, I want us to take a quick break on this. As we wrap up the conversation, in the last two minutes that we have left, uh, uh, Tembis I want to ask you this: Has the Tabombeki uh has the Zuma Ramaphosa approach to foreign affairs? Worked better than the Tabombeki AU centralized foreign affairs approach.
1: It has worked much more better, but at the same time, it also caught us off guard in terms of this new independence that we found ourselves. Hence, the criticism by many uh, on uh, against South Africa when it came when it comes to certain important decisions. One case in point is Ukraine. Um, now that we have to take. uh, serious standard on foreign policy. We have tended to flip flopped If you also remember the Zuma years uh, regarding the resolution of the UN Security Council on Libya, again, that uh, was quite embarrassing for South Africa and, uh, you know, invited harsh criticism. Our continued position in supporting the people of Western Sahara is controversial, and it has created tensions between ourselves and Morocco. So, South African, you know, foreign position uh, stand alone is, uh, is, is being tested at the moment. Um, it was much more easier and kind of uh, cautioned um, or, or cautioned uh, when when was, out, was around because Tabombegu tended to take uh, a, a, a AU. Uh, lead when it came to foreign policy. But the standalone, I think we, we're being tested. And it also demonstrates the the will and the strength of our foreign policy. But importantly, it also demonstrates to an extent, sometimes uh, it, it, it kind of exposes the differences between presidency and the uh, Department of International Relations and Cooperation, where you find them seeing from a different tune when it comes to uh, foreign policy.
0: Tembi Fakude, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really, really do appreciate it. Tembi uh, Fakude is a Senior Research Fellow at Africa-Asia Dialogues. I also had Professor John H. Stanfield, uh, who is uh, uh, the Director of the Institute for Advanced Study of African Renaissance Policies Ideas. is based in South Africa and Mauritius. It is a virtual, global, pan-African, Asian, and diasporous policy advocacy think tank. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much uh, for... For your time. It really, really has been an incredibly wonderful show. I enjoyed every minute of it. Really important and impactful conversations.